Welcome to Morning Commute. I'm Brad Doles. And I am Sam Albert. You know, Brad and I have been friends for many years. Uh, that's true. Probably, I don't know, five or more. And we've built this friendship on making conversations that we talk about basically anything we can think about. It's like no topic is off the table. And so we wanted to open that up and share that kind of talk with other people. Yeah. So we devised this podcast. It's a 20 to 30 minute podcast in which we just kind of freeform talk about the things that we talk about all the time. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the morning commute. All right. This next episode, I think because my memory is so bad, this probably will be, even though it's my story, it'll probably be highly facilitated by you. Okay. Because you might need to ask the right questions. It says on the list, Brad's dad story. Is there a place that you'd like me to start there? Yes. Do you mind starting at his demise and then we can go back? Oh, wow. You want to work that way. Okay. Quentin Tarantino version of Brad's dad story. <laughs> All right. So about, boy, I think you actually read the Facebook post, right? Mm -hmm. How long ago do you think that was? 2011 or 2012. Okay. You and I didn't really know each other at that point in time. Correct. Where's a good place to start? Well, if, if we're moving up to the death of my father, I would say prior to the death of my father, he and I were not close at all. He is a very religious man, but outside of that, unlike my mother, he is a very not great human being. There are certainly worse people out there than him. However, he was extremely damaged by his father and he had this need to be correct in all circumstances. So based on that, based on the fact that at that point in time, I was still just kind of barely sliding out of being religious and, you know, and based on the way he treated my mom and the way he treated my sister, I didn't really talk to him at all. At some point in time, so he is, my dad's living with his dad, my grandfather, in a trailer on my grandparents' lot because he gets along with his father about as much as I get along with my father. At some point in time, I don't know if my dad happened to be in his trailer at the time or not, but my grandfather shoots himself. Among the reasons that he shoots himself is, a couple of years before that, my grandma dies. Lots of death in this story. He shoots himself. My dad moves into that house. My sister, she moves in with my dad for a while. At some point in time, my father gets cancer. Although he doesn't know that he has cancer because he won't go to the doctor. His story is he has a blood clot in his mouth. And he's praying to God about it. And God tells him, that he has blood clot in his mouth and God tells him that he's healing it. And my dad can feel the power of God working its way in my dad's mouth. Meanwhile, he's blending food to eat because his mouth is in such a amount of deterioration. Oh, by the way, this is happening in his mouth. I don't think I said that. Specifically, it happens in his sinus cavity, which is prophetic because he had problems with his sinus cavities his entire life. He gets cancer in his mouth. He's deteriorating. Nobody knows that it's cancer. Even I, when I saw him, thought, oh, it's some sort of bacteria infection. 
my sister calls me up in tears. I'm still like not talking to him. I talk to my sister, but I don't go down there on a real regular basis. Not speaking to your dad, was there some kind of big event of, I'm not speaking to you anymore? You just kind of slowly faded out of each other's lives. Yeah, no big event. Okay. Uh, just a conscious decision that I didn't want anything to do with him anymore. Okay. And I think every once in a while we would meet for Christmases or something like that, but I just avoided him and he didn't put any effort into me. And to what extent did that happen while you were leaving Christianity and becoming an atheist? Was that part of the journey? No, I think it happened before. Okay. So my sister calls me up, says that she's really concerned about dad, that he's taking a turn for the worse. I say, all right, I'll go down there and we'll get him to the hospital. So I go down and I tell him that I'm going to call an ambulance and have them take him in. When your sister called you up and said, hey, dad isn't doing so well, did she tell you anything about what you were about to see when you walked in there? And when you walked in there, were you like, this looks bad? What did you think you were going to be walking into? I believe she, she gave me details on what I would be walking into. I should also say that I heard about his deteriorating health maybe once every two weeks, once every month or something like that, she would, she would say the crazy things that he's doing. I think I had in the back of my mind that it could be serious, but I also had in the back of my mind that it could just be dad craziness because he's nutty. I mean, he does a lot of crazy things. And I mean, we can probably have whole seasons of this podcast talking about some of the nutty things that he does. But she tells me kind of details of his deteriorating health. So that when I go down there and I see him, it's quite a shock to see him if you're not me. But I think there's a certain amount of nothing could shock me as to how crazy he could act. Mm -hmm. And the fact that his body's deteriorated as much as it has is just a symptom of that. So he's lost a lot of weight. One side of his face is really swollen because the cancer is growing inside of his sinuses. And his bedroom smells like death. Mm. His bedroom smells like infection. He has a duffel bag full of weird fake medicines. You know the weird fake medicines that there's people like Jim Baker who will pawn off end-of-the-world kits and, and fake medicines and stuff like that. He has a duffel bag full of those. At the same time, he's saying that he doesn't need anything like that, which I point out to him at some point, that you're contradicting if you say nothing's wrong, God's fixing me, and also I have a whole bag full of medicine. <laughs> right. So I say, look, you don't have a choice. I'm going to call an ambulance and have them take you to the hospital. I do that. The ambulance says, actually, we can't do that without his consent, and he won't give his consent. But that is enough that he will allow me to take him to the hospital. He's living in Redmond at the time. We go down to the doctor's office. It's like a Saturday, so they had to call a doctor in. I always say that I think the doctor came in off his golf game. I don't know that for a fact. He did come in in civilian clothes, and he seemed a little irritated to be pulled in on Saturday. Oh, gosh. My dad is sitting on the hospital bed table thing, you know, those weird hospital bed tables with the drawers in them and stuff. And yes. the lamp that goes over the top and the, the butcher paper that goes over the top so they can start cutting you up. Um, <laughs> and he has my dad open his mouth because where a lot of it is. Dad opens his mouth. The guy looks in his mouth with the flashlight, puts the flashlight down, says it's cancer, 
and walks out of the room. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so then we're talking to the nurses and stuff. And one of them actually says, hey, do you want to look at it? And I wish, this is a morbid thing, but I wish I would have had a photograph of that because it was a fascinating picture. You could look in his mouth and you could literally see the alien growth of cancer growing on the inside of his mouth. It was this white kind of, I wanted to say it as bubbly, but not like actual like poppable bubbles, but just like that Cronenbergian kind of uh-huh. uh, mass on the inside. It was all white, so it was different color than the inside of his mouth. Yeah, so I looked in his mouth and I was like, oh, wow, look at that. So the next step is drive him to the actual hospital in Ben. And we spend a weekend in the hospital. I'm going in and out and stuff like that. The entire time that we're there, he has his little pre-packaged speech to every doctor. I don't need to be in here. I've been praying to the Lord. The Lord is, is saving me. I'm fine. All that stuff. And then... The Sunday, I believe, I think we must have been working weekends because I believe it was a Sunday. It might have been a Monday. I think we went in, I think we went in Saturday and they called me on Monday morning and said that he was dead. And then that was a weird progression. I'm missing some facts there because we put him in there. Again, literally, I thought he looked pretty bad, but I thought it was a side effect of having like a really bad bacteria infection and him not eating. That doctor that told us it was cancer was the last person that ever said the word cancer until after my dad was dead. Because there was no biopsies, no anything. That doctor was just kind of like pushed to his limits at that point or something. So the rest of the time, no one would say, no one would say cancer. Everybody would say, well, you don't really know until he dies. So one day I go in there and I visit him and he's in the bed and he's being his normal crazy dad self. And then the next day I go in and he looks like a zombie. This is not a visual medium, so it's hard for me to say this, but his eyes are looking straight ahead and they're not focusing or looking at anything. His arms are kind of twisted around so they're not in normal human being pose, almost like one would say a zombie would be in or something like that, kind of a weird deformation of, their, of his arms. And he's also like reaching out at the sky at nothing. That was, I mean, the day before that was the last time I ever heard my dad speak. That was the day that I signed the paper that said, do not resuscitate. And then the next day he was dead. And the next week was figuring out all the arrangements and going through the house and stuff for that. He didn't have a funeral because we didn't think he really had any friends and other people in the family really wanted to deal with it. So we had him cremated and put in a coffee can and stuck in the veterans wall. So I have a bunch of questions. All right. One is when you went in that day to see your father when he was at home and you were basically telling him, I'm calling an ambulance, you have to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Was there any discussion of, oh my gosh, Brad, I haven't seen you in so long, or what are you doing here, or it's good to see you? No, but I don't take offense to that there. Another important part of the story is that at some point in time, we have a conversation over the t- course of that. And he apologizes to me for being a bad father. And at the same point in time, separate times in different conversations, he apologizes to my mom for being a bad husband and apologizes to my sister for being a bad father. 
And we should mention at the time of his passing, your mom and dad were divorced. Yes, for several years. Hmm. All of that being said, in all honesty, when he told me that, I thought to myself, well, yeah, but those are words. I didn't completely write it off, but my feeling was, now's the time to prove it. You, you don't just say that and, and then the slate is wiped clean. All right, I'll give you another chance, but now you got to prove it. That's probably close to one of the last things he ever said. I mean, I know it's close to one of the last things he ever said to me, but it might be the actual last thing he ever said to me for all I know. So back to your original question, when I went in there, it was much more of a I'm the dad and you're the child situation. I'm the father because I'm going in there telling you what you're going to do. And he wasn't, didn't take offense to that. He didn't even really fight it that much, as much as he could, because he was a very yelly dad. I think when I came in there and kind of took control of the situation, I think there was a bit of shame into what I was walking into. When he passed away, having apologized for being a bad dad, were you A, disappointed that he wasn't going to be able to follow through on that and try and be a good dad, or B, relieved that he wouldn't be able to screw it up? I mean, honestly, neither. I mean, I guess there's a part of my my brain that's curious as to what would have happened had he been given the opportunity, but I don't have high hopes. I mean, I think if he was the best dad he was possible it was possible for him to be there's still a large amount of crazy that's in there right so he'd be a nice crazy dad instead of a mean crazy dad do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about your dad and his belief about himself as a prophet oh yeah i mean that's almost the entire sentence he thought he was a prophet he believed that god talked to him on a regular basis not in the vague way that he talks to all Christians, but in the actual voice from the heavens, God told me this. It's unclear to me how much he actually believed that and how much of that was an act for people to believe, because uh, he had a very strong need to be important. He had a really strong need to be a very important person. And one of the ways that manifested is God had called him to be a prophet. Now, I know a lot of the Bible because I was a Christian, but there's a lot of this revelations stuff that I shied away from, maybe because I thought both my mom and my dad were nuts, even when I was still buying into Christianity. They were super into revelations and stuff. And I guess I believed all of that too. I guess it's probably part of it was I stayed away from it because I was scared of it. I didn't want to believe that I only had a couple more years on earth and I wasn't going to experience what everybody else gets to experience. What was the question? I'm, I strayed too far. We were talking about your dad thinking he was a prophet. Right. So God told him that he was a last day's prophet. And apparently where I was going with Revelations, apparently there's some place in Revelations or in the Bible somewhere that says in the last days, there'll just be two prophets wandering the earth, spreading God's word. My dad was one of those two prophets and God told him that. So that was a belief that he had and he lived his life that way. So even when your mom first married him, he thought he was a prophet, or is that something that developed over the course of their marriage? Both my mom and my father grew worse over time. Okay. My mom grew worse as a nice person, but still kind of nutso, and my dad grew worse as a mean person. Growing worse mean. Well, that's not necessarily true. He grew meaner and meaner until the point at which he divorced my mom, and, and I graduated and got married and left the house. Mm -hmm. The degree to which he was mean after that, I don't really know. But I know that when I came back and saw him, he'd mellowed out quite a bit. And my sister had said he'd mellowed out quite a bit. Do you think that if your mom had married someone different, 
she would have descended into crazy Christianity as much? I think she'd be normal Christian. Okay. I think the role that she took in the marriage was very submissive. She's a lot less submissive now than she was then, but I think she holds on to that amount of crazy Christianity because she needs to say that it wasn't all a waste of time. It's a lot to devote your life to and be wrong. When you were growing up, did you perceive your dad as a prophet or did you think this is crazy? I perceived my dad as a prophet. Were you afraid of him? Did you feel like he could see into your head and knew all things that you were doing? No, I think I didn't really see prophet like that. Even when I was old enough that I should have known what the word actually meant, I more saw of it as an important man of God because I could see in real time prophecies that my dad made not coming true. Like a lot of prophets nowadays will retroactively just say that they said that was going to come true, but never have had actually said that. Or Nostradamus say like some sort of poetic weird thing and then just twist the words around to make it make sense. My dad didn't do any of that. Most of my dad's prophecies, maybe all of them, were about how important my dad was. Uh This was going to happen, how that was going to happen through him. So like a prophecy was that he's a prophet. A prophecy was that he was going to do this work of God at this youth camp. God's prophecies were strangely dad-centric. God really liked your dad. Yeah, I mean, it was probably a little bit obsessive to the point of an unfair relationship to God, honestly. He needed to put out a restraining order on God. God couldn't come within 60 feet of him. (laughs) When you look back on your father, do you think he was mentally ill? Yeah. And do you think he was born mentally ill? Or do you think that was the result of his traumatic childhood with his father? I think that's really hard to say. But if I had to guess it would be not chemical. It would be traumatic. Did your concept of your dad change as you became an atheist? No, I think my concept of my dad changed as I grew older. I think my concept of my dad was pretty fully developed because I became an atheist when I was 32, right? I think my disillusionment of my dad was pretty well developed by maybe 25. Here's the question. You don't have to answer it if it's too personal. When you became a father, were you worried that you were going to be a father like your dad? I don't think so. I think maybe I should have been worried, but I had a pretty strong concept of how I knew I wanted to raise her. I don't think most of it was based on whether or not I would raise her like my dad raised me. I think Mm -hmm. I was pretty, pretty well grounded in that I wasn't my dad. The bulk of my worry about raising my daughter and how I was raised is just the lack of information in certain areas. For one thing, the bulk of raising was done as a Christian. So she was born in 1997. I think I was 21 then, maybe 23. So that's a good 10-year period in which I'm Christian when I'm raising her, half of her life right now. But that that's apropos of nothing. I still had a pretty good idea of what I thought right was, what wrong was. It was the things that I didn't understand that scared me, that still scared me. Things like what a romantic relationship should be like, because I never saw one and being raised. Well, one of the, the things that I've brought up to you before is 
the last kiss in Princess Bride, they cut it out of the movie because it was too suggestive. When something like that is too suggestive, it really warps how you think the rest of the world should be. And when people are turning off the television and just saying, you, you can't be exposed to the outside world, it really warps what you think the world is and how you perceive it. Coming out of that, even when I was like Christian and I knew that I disagreed with my parents as far as that stuff went, you can know that they were wrong and still not know what right is. Mm -hmm. If you could have had a different father, would you have wanted one? Yeah, why not? I don't know. It might change who you are today. You know, like the butterfly effect. If you had a different dad, you might not be. It would change who I am today. I would be a completely different person. And that person can't say that he would prefer one or the other because he's a completely different person by definition. But I think having a different dad, well, for one thing, having a different dad makes my mom not as bad. And I think I am exposed to more opportunities as far as career goes and stuff like that because we don't think the world's going to end. The date they threw at me was 1993, the year I graduated. So Whoa. if you believe that the world is going to end in 1993, how much preparing for the future do you actually do? And how much are all your decisions made in a rush to get things done quickly before the world ends? Precisely. So I like who I turned out to be now, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't have turned out to be a better person. I wouldn't be farther ahead had I had a different father. You've intimated to me that sometimes when you see movies or TV shows where there's kind of a father-son bonding moment, you get a little emotional. Mm -hmm. Do you have that when you see mother-son stuff or is it specifically father-son and what do you think is behind that? I think I get it for the most part whenever someone's really proud of someone else and it is exaggerated when it's a father-son experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, well, I can feel my voice getting a little wavering now. I never felt that from my father. I feel that missing. I'm proud of who you became. If there's someone out there who's listening who has a complicated relationship with his or her father, do you have any words of wisdom? None. No, <laughs> because I, my path was avoid my father entirely. And when I come to people who are at an old enough age to do that, that's usually the advice that I give is don't think that your family needs to be biological. Choose your family. That being said, I'm not sure that that's the right answer. It's just the one that I happen to choose. And I feel pretty okay about it. For a long time before my dad died and I wasn't speaking to him, I thought to myself, am I just really going to be hurting when dad dies? Should I be doing something now? I feel kind of fine. You know, maybe I could have worked out that pride thing with him had I put some real work into it. But the other side of that coin is maybe he would have disappointed me. That's one of the things that drew me to you as a friend, even though we didn't know each other that well, is I remember very clearly your Facebook post, which was basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something akin to my father has just died and I don't know how to feel about it. I mean, you know better than me, but I think that's pretty accurate that you had said he wasn't a great dad. We didn't have a great relationship. What am I supposed to feel? How am I supposed to feel? My dad at that time was still alive, but boy, do I understand that sense of what am I supposed to be feeling right now? Yeah. I think I also said in there, also don't tell me that you're praying for me because I don't care. Yeah. And so but I got up off my knees. I stopped praying for <laughs> you. 
anything else we should know about you or your dad? I appreciate that you're willing to share the story. I find it. I mean, there are boatloads to know about that. And again, I would encourage people to ask questions. I mean, it is, there is a lot of history there that I'm leaving out. I mean, the truth is we literally, and I'm not kidding, could do an entire podcast just about your father. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy story. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel bad leaving the podcast there because I was just talking about his death and it doesn't even scrape how crazy he is. Yeah, we didn't even touch the surface of his life. We might have to do a part two. Are you open to a part two? I am very open to a part two. I don't want to do a part two this week just because I don't want to overload people with that story. All right, well, part two coming soon. <laughs> In the meantime, if you have any questions for Brad that maybe we didn't touch on, definitely write in at morningcommutesambrad at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash morning commute Sam Brad. Thank you so much for sharing this part of your life. I think it's really great that you're willing to be so open about this. Most of the time, I don't like talking about it, but it isn't because it bothers me. It's because this is something about me that feels like I should get it out there. And I feel like when I'm talking about it to most people, I can see them being uneasy because it's not an easy story. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not easy to hear someone say, I don't really care about my dad that much, which is right. mostly true. Uh, it's only kind of true. I think I, I always kind of default to wanting to be very clear that I know how messed up a human being is. But I do have a large bit of compassion to the fact that I don't think that he had much of a choice. That doesn't mean that it justified treating me or the family the way he did, but he didn't. But um, God, we're going too long. So okay. thanks, All Sam. Right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.